Please stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. What I am saying, that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, one other Christmas service opportunity that I want to mention that's in your bulletins, but next Saturday at 7.15 a.m., we are serving breakfast at the Crossing Church out in the parking lot there to those who are experiencing homelessness in Costa Mesa, and that's a ministry we partner with other churches in and or, the Trellis Organization, and we're responsible for breakfast like every other month, and our week is coming up next Saturday. So Saturday, 7.15, if you want to bring your families, friends, um, we're going to be there. It'll be um, a good opportunity to, to um, kind of bless people who are in need uh, this, this Christmas season. So I want to invite you to that. My family and I will be there. Love to see you there. All right, so um, this Advent season, uh, let me give you this beautiful manger scene. We are talking about the birth of our Lord and Savior, and, and we're focusing in December not so much on the fact that he came, but we're asking the question, Why? Did he come? And we're looking at three places in scripture where the author tells us explicitly, like, this is the reason he came. This is why he came. So we're looking at three different reasons why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And we're trying to enter into that and celebrate that, uh, this, this year. So last week, um, we looked at 1 John 3, 8, um, kind of a, an aggressive verse. Uh, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And we talked about what it means when Jesus destroys the devil's work of guilt and shame in our lives. And then today, we're focusing in, I'm going to focus in on verse 4 and 5. Where's this? God sent his Son, why? To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as God's children. So here's the message of Christmas, that God sent his one and only child into the world, that through this one and only child, God might adopt many children into his family. Um, John's gospel begins this way. He says, he came, he's talking about Jesus, he came to that which was his own, and his own people didn't receive him. Uh, yet to all who did receive him, he, to those who believed in his name, he gave authority to become children of God. And so this morning, I want to talk about what does it mean to embrace this good news that we are children of God and what does it mean to live in the freedom in the joy and the authority of being children of the king. And I love just what Mark just shared. I mean, all the stuff that's going on in some of our lives right now. Um, what does it mean to walk through all of that? The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, but to walk through it knowing I'm a child of God. 
And I can live in freedom and joy because of that. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. And look at that through what Paul has to say in this chapter. Um, so I'm going to focus in on verse 4 and 5, but just give you like the 22nd um, summary of Galatians. Um, Paul is writing this letter 2,000 years ago to a church of Jews and Gentiles, and they're trying to figure out how to like you know, interact with one another because after centuries and centuries of God primarily working with the Jewish nation, God has now opened up the gospel to include all people, Jews and Gentiles, but that's creating all these questions like, okay, if Gentiles are part of this, then what does it mean to be God's family now? How does one become part of God's family? How does one become a child of God? And really the, the, the two options are you become a child of God through obedience to God's law. And that was the way that the Jews had understood it for, for years, right? Through observing the Sabbath and being circumcised if you're a guy and observing, you know, eating kosher and observing God's commandments, is that how you become a child of God? Or, and this is what Paul's advocating for, no, it is now by faith and faith alone. Through faith in Jesus, we can be adopted into God's family regardless of our background, our heritage, uh, our previous moral performance. It's by faith that we become God's children because God has a new way. A new era has dawned in, in Jesus, and there's a new way of being a part of God's family. So I want to talk about that new way, that new era that has taken place this morning. Um, but to do that, I actually want to just talk about the old way for a minute and get in, help, help us to get inside of what that feels like, what that was like, so that we can then fully appreciate the new way, okay? So Paul in verse 4 describes the old way as, as um, those who are under the law, okay? Verse 4, when the time set had fully come, meaning there was a time when it wasn't this way, Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law. And, and Paul here is thinking historically, like, you know, God had given the law to the Jewish nation, right? And they'd lived under that law for centuries. Um, look back up in uh, chapter 3. Look at verse 23 for a second. This kind of give you a little context. He says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So Paul is saying God gave the law to Israel and God tended that in a way to be like a guardian. Like if Israel was a child, the law was, was its guardian for a time until the child grew up. So, and that's, God gave the law. It was always a, a temporary thing. He never intended that to be the permanent way. But it's this guardian that was ultimately supposed to lead us to Christ. The law shows us what God's holiness looks like. Shows us how God wants us to live. Shows us the ways that we fall short of that. And therefore, then kind of prepares us to, to recognize our need for a savior. And then when the time came, God then reveals this savior. And we now can experience being his family by faith, all right? But under the law was a situation that people lived in for hundreds of years. And I want to just try to get real tangible for a minute, okay? I've got a visual for trying to get us inside of what did it feel like to live life under the law? And many of you will actually relate to what I'm about to say because you realize, gosh, I still feel like in some ways I am living life under the law, all right? So um, I've got some diagrams for you. This is why you came, so I'm going to give you what you wanted. All right, so here you are, right? Um, and this is you living your life, and, and you are living your life 
I'll just take it literally, under the law, okay? So I want you to imagine uh, the law is above you, okay? This is why you came, you know? Give give the people what they want, they tell me. Um, So I want you to imagine the law like a, a sheet of glass. You can see through it, but on that sheet of glass is written all of God's commandments, okay? Honor your father and mother. Uh, don't covet, don't commit adultery, don't steal, uh, no sexual immorality, right? All, all of God's commandments and requirements are written on that law. And you literally stand under the law and you see it, you look up and it's there above you. And then of course, then God then would be, a, he would be over the law, right? God is the one, the creator who gave the law to us. And so living under the law, the experience is the law is always in between me and God. So when I think about God, I'm always viewing him through the lens of the law. Like I see him, he's the creator who gave me these rules. And and when I'm trying to see him, what I see is these rules that he's laid out for me of how I'm supposed to live. And of course, I'm kind of seeing where I'm obeying those rules, where I'm really living up to those rules and, and where I'm failing in those rules. But I'm always viewing God through that lens of this, this lawgiver. And then the opposite would be true too. God, as he looks at me, he's looking at me through the lens of his commandments and laws. He's watching me and seeing where I live up to those commandments and where I fall short of those commandments. And maybe his approval or his posture towards me is changing depending on how well I'm doing at living up to the requirements of his law. All right, so that is kind of what life under the law looks like and, and feels like. Really, the summary is this. My, my moral performance, my ability to perform morally is what dictates my relationship with God. When I do well, things are good. When I don't do so well, things are bad. It's, it's performance-based approval okay, in my relationship with God. And, and Paul describes that as a life ultimately of slavery, right? of bondage, of being locked up. It's like that, that, that is to feel a burden upon you Literally, it's above you and, and it's on you and you can feel the slavery of that burden. And I think there's, there's a lot of different ways that human beings react to this. Like, how, how do they engage this reality? And I want to just mention two really common reactions to this, okay? And you might identify with one of these. Um, so one is the reaction of the pleaser. And we have some pleasers in this room, I would imagine, okay? And the pleaser, people we, you know, who like, I mean, I know some pleasers who like to please others and want people's approval. And, and the pleaser looks at the setup and goes, okay, this is, this is how the game works. All right. And they jump in and say, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try my best to, to please God. This is what he wants me to do. And this is how I gain his approval. And so I'm going to try hard. And sometimes I do well and I feel good about myself. And sometimes I fall short and I get up and I try again and I try harder. And I, and I you know, just keep trying. But I, I so, so much want God's affection and approval. And this is the way to it. So, okay. I jump in and do my best at that game. Uh, now, there's a real problem with, <laughs> with living that way. Um, one is, of course, you, you constantly feel that burden of, I wonder if I'm ever enough. Like, am I ever, and I have one success, but then I just need to keep performing, right? And so I'm always wondering if I'm, I'm, I'm ever really doing it. So I'm constantly just trying so hard to please God. But the thing I think that is missing from that situation is this. The pleaser is missing out on enjoyment of God. Like, just 
honestly enjoying God. The pleaser is missing out on, on freedom and joy in their relationship with God. I know God loves me. I know God is good, but does God enjoy me? Do I enjoy God? I, 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 don't, even, I don't even know how to answer that question. I mean, it's, it's really hard to enjoy someone that you're always trying to please. You ever notice that? Like when you're always trying to please someone, it's just kind of hard to enjoy them or to think that they enjoy you. And so what's missing is that joy and freedom and just, just enjoyment of, of God and his, his delight in his children. So that's the pleaser. Um, and then the other one that I, that I was thinking of is what I'll call the avoider. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is the avoiders are people who don't really feel like they need to please people too much, that they're not driven by that. But the avoider would look at this situation and go, yeah, that's just not a great situation to be in. And the pleaser's like, okay, I'll do my best. And the voider kind of knows intuitively, I actually can't win that game. I'm not, I know I'm not going to win that game. Um, I'm, I'm not, maybe I'm not that spiritual of a person, or I'm not that religious of a person. Like, I have spiritual friends, my spouse is spiritual, but it's just not kind of who I am. So I, I'm not going to win that game. So the avoider just says, like, the best way to, to do that is just not to play the game and to kind of just keep God at a distance, um, it's kind of like the student, you know, in high school who, like, knows they can't get straight A's. So they're just like, I'm just not really going to try. You know, I'm not going to win that. And, um, you know, C minus is through. will we'll get me through. The, through. I'll be good. Um, but it's kind of that way of, like, yeah, I'll just kind of, I'll just keep my distance a little bit. I still believe in God. I still go to church. Um, but I'm not going to set myself up for constant failure. So I'll just kind of stay at a distance with God and... Um, I'll just kind of be like a C-minus Christian. You know, I'll kind of be like a second class. You know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in. I think I'm going, going to heaven. But, um, yeah, it's just, I'll just kind of stay. This doesn't feel like a very good setup for me. Uh, and so that can relieve some of the burden, right? Um, but what I think is missing in, in the avoider is, of course, the intimacy with God, right? I mean, you you kind of just keep it at a distance to avoid hurt, but what you lose is, is intimacy. And the other thing that I think is really missing in this life is the sense of authority. Like living with a sense of spiritual authority as God's child. And these are people who might have a lot of authority in their work environment, but when it comes to spiritual things, they don't feel like they have any authority, right? Because they kind of decide, yeah, I'm, I'm just not that spiritual. And so they miss out on the confidence in the spiritual realm, the authority that they can walk through this life as God's child. All right, is that making sense? Right? So this is life under the law. It's performance-based approval. It is feeling the burden or just feeling the distance that is created with God. Um, I, so as I was looking, I, I made this image this week. And literally, as I made the image, I was thinking of, um, of Downton Abbey. Um, how many of you have seen the movie, Downton Abbey? Okay. So uh, I haven't. Uh, Carrie and I are getting through seasons five and six right now. So we're a little behind the curve. Um, we actually watched the first three seasons and then Matthew died and we were out. We were like, no. So sorry if you haven't seen it. Um, uh, but we're back in and I want to see the movie. Um, but I looked at this picture and I was like, you know, this feels like, I mean, this is life as a servant of God, Right. And I was just thinking of these servants who live in this beautiful, you know, manor, and, um, and they have a good relationship with the, the family, right, the, the Grantham family. Um, but in the end, they're still servants. Some of them have fairly affectionate relationships, some of them not so much. Uh, 
But in the end, they live, they live downstairs. You know, there's like an upstairs and downstairs life. And they live downstairs, and the family lives upstairs. And, you know, they're sort of close, but um, they, don't, they don't have any authority. And, they, you know, none of the stuff is theirs. They, they won't inherit any of it. And, and that is a way that we can live with God. And I think so many people live in that place. Like, I know he's good. I know he probably loves me. Um, but I'm kind of, kind of working for God. I'm kind of a servant of God. It's sort of an upstairs, downstairs deal. And I think that's not how God wants us to live. And that's not what he has for us. That's not why Jesus came. So let's look at this, the good news why did God send his son? Let me read again, verse 4. Look, look on it with me if you've got your Bibles open. Um, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as God's children. So here's what happened. Um, yeah, it's going to get great here. Um, so God sent his son. Jesus, right? His only son, but it says that he was born under the law. So God's eternal son willingly is born under the law as a Jewish kid grown up under the Jewish law. He is in that position. He sees all the requirements of God. The the great difference between him and us is he actually ends up meeting all of the requirements of the law, right? Everything that the law demands and asks of a human being, he actually fulfills perfectly. He perfectly obeys his heavenly father. He fulfills all his requirements. It says also that he was born of a woman, meaning I think he's a, he's a human being. Like he's, he's a truly human being. He is born as a mortal human being. And as such, not only can he live a perfect life, but then he can offer his life as a perfect sacrifice that the law demands for forgiveness. And if you've ever read any of the old covenant, you know that it's always pointing to sacrifice, right? All these animal sacrifices as a way of humans being made right with God under that old covenant. And so Jesus fulfills the law and then he offers his life as the perfect once for all sacrifice for all of our brokenness and sin. And so both in his life and his death, he fulfills the law. And Paul will say in another place, in fulfilling the law, he then renders the law obsolete. The law is now obsolete as a way of being made right with God. Now the way we're made right with God is through what? Jesus, right? Through faith in Jesus. So here you are, right? And now there is no law between you and God. And through faith in Jesus, you become a child of God. (laughs) Yep, I did it. I did it. (laughs) Through faith in Christ... The law is obsolete. Let me, let's read uh, verse 26 in chapter 3. Famous, famous couple verses here. Notice all the in Christ stuff. Verse 26. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He's saying this happens in Christ, through faith in Christ. You've clothed yourself with Christ. You belong to Christ. You are identified with the Son of God. Therefore, you are now a child of God. Okay, and that's the gospel. Um, God only has one son. He has a one and only son, an only begotten son, Jesus. And I know, like, I think in, in the world, you kind of hear people say, like, we're all God's children, 
Right? You just hear that, that sentence, well, we're all God's children. That's actually not a biblical way of speaking. The Bible would say, no, God only has one son. He only has a one and only son. But through faith in that one son, by identifying with that one son, anybody can be adopted into God's family as a son or daughter of the king. That is the good news. Now, practically speaking, what does it look like? What does it feel like? This is where I kind of want to land the plane this morning. What does it look and feel like to live as a daughter, as a son of the king? Two words I want to leave you with today. One is affection, and the other is authority, okay? To live as a child of God means to live with affection and to live with authority. And let me show you how I see these. The first one, affection, I see in verse 6. Let's read verse 6, one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. Because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So Paul's saying, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, God sends the spirit of his son into your heart. Okay? Here's an image I've shown you before. Um, This is a painting of Jesus' own baptism. Um, This is when he's 30, right at the beginning of his ministry. And he comes up from the waters, right? And the scriptures say that that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. So the Spirit is anointing him for his public ministry. And then Jesus, along with the coming of the Spirit, hears a voice from heaven saying, You're my son. I love you. And I'm well pleased with you. And this must have been one of the highlights of Jesus' life. To hear in public this full affirmation of his heavenly Father saying, I just love you. I delight in you. I have so much pleasure in you. And what I love about this is, this is before Jesus had started any of his public ministry. He hadn't done anything for God. He just lived his life as a, you know, a kid growing up in Nazareth for 30 years. And yet without having performed, done anything, God's like, I love you. I delight in you. And the good news, Paul's saying, is when we put our faith in Jesus, the spirit of God's son is put into our hearts. That same spirit on Jesus is now given to us. And what that spirit does is he enters our hearts and he cries out from our hearts to God, Abba, Father. Abba is like the first thing that a a Jewish baby says. Abba, 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 right? Dada, Papa. It's this expression of intimacy and trust and delight in, in their dad. And that is the role of the Spirit, is to work in our hearts so that we now, when we think of the creator of the universe, this holy, awesome being, that this voice in us cries out, you're my Abba, you're my Papa, you're my Dad, you you love me. And God, through his Spirit, wants to impress on us the exact same thing he said to Jesus. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I am so well pleased. I just delight in you because you're my child. Um, this verse has a, a very personal uh, relevance to me. This, so when I kind of gave my faith to the Lord in college, um, so I grew up in the church. I would have said I was a Christian in high school. Uh, but then in college, did the usual college questioning thing and experienced the season of doubt, didn't know what I believed. But I came back to faith at, at around 20. Um, and that coming back to faith was a qualitatively different experience than what I'd had before. And if I had to sum up the difference, it's this verse right here for me personally. 
It was in that inner place where there used to be fear and anxiety and guilt and shame. I don't know how else to say it. There was a voice. There was a new voice in my heart from God saying, I love you. Like, I, I just love you. And these verses that I'd read all my life came alive. Like, I love you. And honestly, I didn't even, like, I had an experience of the Spirit. I didn't even have a theology of the Spirit. I didn't grow up with a theology of the Spirit. I had to learn the theology later. But it was this experience of, of in the depths of my being, it's okay. Like, he loves me when I do well, and he loves me when I don't. And I, I think God longs for us to have that experience. I know that looks different in, in each one of us, but God doesn't want his love just to be a theological concept. That's the whole point of the Spirit, is to make that a lived-out reality in his children's hearts and lives. Um, I heard someone say this last week, and then I've seen it on, like, T-shirts and bumper stickers. Have you ever seen this? God loves all of you, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> you ever seen that? Um, I heard that. I'm like, I don't like that. You know, I mean, first off, logically, that's not possible, right? We, we can't all be God's favorite. That doesn't work. Um, but the more I, I saw with them, like, you know what? There's, there's something right about that. And what it is, it's a sentiment that says there's something special between me and God. And what's so beautiful is, is God is the kind of God who through his spirit can speak to each one of us in such unique and particular and personal and intimate ways that he does it with one another, that we're left feeling special. Like, God and I kind of have this thing. We have this little secret together, you know? And, like, he can do things in our lives, and there'll be moments that we can have with him that, honestly, we almost feel shy sharing him with someone else. It almost feels inappropriate to, to share with someone else because it feels intimate. And I think he's the kind of God who does that and longs to do that in our lives. And I know that looks different, but there's something, there's something right about that. God loves you all but I'm his favorite. You know, that's right. That's, that's absolutely right. So I'm speaking to this affection that we have as God's kids. Uh, and the, the other word I used is this word authority, that there's an authority that comes with being God's kids. Look at verse seven. This is where I get that. I love this. I'm not even going to talk about this too much. I just want you to hear it. Listen to the authority of this passage. So you are no longer a slave. And some of you need to hear that this morning. You are no longer God's servant only. You're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Okay? This universe was created by an all-powerful being who can just speak things into existence. He rules over all. He, he is in everything. He's so vast you can't even imagine. And you are his kid. You are his daughter. You are his son. And there is just an authority that comes from that. His spirit lives in you. You walk through this world with his spirit active in you as his son or daughter. And there's an authority that comes with that. And what Paul's focus on is there's an inheritance. that, that you, We all stand as God's children to inherit something that is so epic and amazing. We can't even fathom it. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. And I know right now we're living in a broken, a broken earth, a broken heavens. And we don't feel like we have a lot of authority and the world pushes us around a lot. But one day Christ is going to return and he's going to establish his kingdom. And guess what? The whole place will belong to you and me. Like we are heirs. We have this 
epic inheritance that's waiting for us. Our future is insanely good. And that doesn't solve all the problems of today, but I can walk through whatever I'm going through with a kind of meekness, actually, a kind of gentleness, because I know the secret that the meek will inherit the earth. That God's kids will inherit this epic inheritance that he's prepared since the foundation of the world, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel. I'm a child of the king, and there's an authority that, that comes from that. All right, so there it is. Children of God, affection and authority were no longer under the law, either as pleasers or as avoiders. I'm going to leave you with a couple stories from the Gunlock household um, that have happened in the last week to try to give you some real pictures of what it's like to live as children who are loved. And I'm not saying that we're the best family. In fact, as you hear these stories, you'll think there's some problems with our family, and you may call the cops on me by the end of this. Um, But I just want to give you glimpses into what it's like to live in the freedom and affection and authority of being a child that just knows they're loved. So I have a story from each of my kids in the last year. (laughs) Here we go. So uh, first one is with my my middle child, Cora. Uh, She's six years old. And this happened uh, one morning. I was sweeping. the. We've got some hardwood floors, and I'm sweeping the floors. And she's in the family room on the carpet. I can't even remember what she's doing. She's laying around. She, she might be doing nothing. Or she's reading a book or doing crafts. But I recorded the, the verbatim. This was the verbatim conversation we had. Here it goes. Cora says, I'm sweeping the floor. Uh, what are you doing, daddy? Dad, sweeping the floor. What are you doing? Whatever I want. <laughs> Must be nice. That was the conversation. And I went on sweeping the floor. And I kind of chuckled to myself. So here's bad parenting, of course, but um, here's what I love about that conversation. Um, She presumes on a kind of freedom that she has as a child, right? She presumes on a, a freedom she has to play when her dad's doing work because, you know, I'm doing my work, but dad works and I don't, and this is my house, and I, I get to play in my house. Like, it, it, she presumes a certain kind of freedom and play um, because she's my daughter, and this is her house. And there's something so right about that, that we can presume on that kind of freedom as God's children. I want to read from Romans uh, 4. I love this verse. Paul says this, Now, when a person works, their wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation, right? We can work for God. We can, we can be God's employees if, if we want that. That's life under the law. But I love this verse. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts in the God who justifies the wicked, their faith is credited as righteousness. The gospel is you do not have to work anymore. You can simply trust in a God who does a crazy thing, justifies wicked, broken people. And you can live in the freedom of not working. You just trust. We're not God's employees. We're God's kids. We do not work for God anymore. We work with God in the world all the time, but we do not need to work for God. We get to be free to play, to be ourselves. And, that, and our work has nothing to do with our approval in God's sight. So beautiful. Lessons from a six-year-old. Uh, second one. So this is my, my, um, my oldest daughter, Adele. 
and she's now eight. This happened about a year ago. So it's a Saturday morning. Um, that's our Sabbath, our kind of day together. And um, the girls are off doing something. And I've made like eggs, bacon, and toast for myself. And I'm, I'm an introvert, so I'm excited to just sit down at the breakfast table and just eat my, you know, get my 15 minutes by myself and eat, eat, my, uh, eat my meal. <laughs> and, uh, and Adele just runs over. She jumps on my lap, and she just starts eating my toast. And I try to, I say, kind of mock and say, I say, uh, hi, Daddy, excuse me, can I please have a bite of your toast? And she goes, nah, she laughs, and she takes another bite of my toast. <laughs> and I'm like, and so she, there, she, is, she just presumes a certain kind of favor and generosity from me. Like, she, it's, there's this boldness, there's this almost brazenness. Like, I can just go up and jump on my dad's lap and start eating his toast, and there's nothing wrong with that right? It's a presumption of favor and generosity from her dad. And I think that is so, that's so beautiful. That's so pure and and wonderful. And Jesus so often encourages us towards that kind of bold, brazen, confident approach to our father. But I was thinking of passages that Paul uses. I mean, I love this. Ephesians 3, Paul says, in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. She had total freedom and confidence in, in approaching me for a piece of toast. Uh, Hebrews 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love this image of God's throne of grace. And many of us have read Revelation and you've seen these images like the heavenly throne room where God is seated on his throne, right? And there's angels worshiping him and attending him, the, the infinite, holy, holy, holy creator God. And the author is saying, we can step into that scene spiritually and we can approach that throne with confidence because that creator God is our dad. And so we can step on his lap and presume to ask him for anything and assume a level of favor and generosity from him because he's our dad. That's what dads do. So moments of the Gunlock household that hopefully give us insight into uh, maybe a glimpse of what God longs for for us. All right. Galatians 5, this is how Paul wraps up his argument. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. I mean, he wants freedom for us. So stand firm in that freedom then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So as you walk through this Advent season and whatever you're going through, I just want to invite you to ask that question. What would it look like to walk through the season in freedom as his daughter, as his son? to not walk through it as a pleaser, to not walk through it as an avoider, but as a child of the king. And maybe today is a day where God is just wanting to remind you, I just love you. I delight in you. You have freedom as my son, as my daughter. And maybe this is a day where you, in some area of your life, you need to cry out again, Abba, I just, I, I kind of, I don't want, I just need a dad right now. I just need a dad from you right now. And God's like, I, that's what I want to be for you. So let's pray, and then we're going to celebrate communion as a way of just going to God.